0: This morning's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. This is the word of God for the people of God. God.
1: So let us now turn to God in prayer. Let us pray. Dear Lord, when a pastor stands before his or her people, it's a, it's a terrible task. Terrible because, Lord, we have to be honest with the Word, with you, with ourselves, with the people. We need to be open as we stand in this pulpit to to share what you have to say to share your direction your wisdom so it's important for the preacher to to listen listen carefully to what you have to say so lord as i stand here this morning and share a few words i pray lord that you would give me your wisdom so that I might share that blessing with everyone else. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When Cheryl and I were married almost 37 years ago, we had engraved on our wedding bands part of the scripture uh, passage, or not the, you know, the the book and chapter and verse. We didn't, we didn't have all the words. Um, but we had Genesis 12, 1 through 2, engraved on our wedding bands. We called our wedding a journey shared. And Cheryl, a graphic artist, drew two butterflies and a cocoon that were placed on the cover of the bulletin. It was to represent, the picture was to represent uh, the changes in our lives that were about to occur as we journeyed from singlehood to marriage. Those two verses have always been a, a very important part of my life, not just for my marriage, but, but for my life. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing Each time one of our three boys were born, Cheryl added another butterfly to her drawing, and we used it on postcards to announce each of their births. Each time the journey took a a new turn, a, a new twist, if you will. I believe then, as I do now, that life is a journey for all of us. And like Abraham and Sarah before us, we are called on that journey by God. To be blessed and to be a blessing. We must leave behind our cocoons and we must stretch out our wings in flight. Because you see, blessings await us. We don't know what's over the horizon, but I know that blessings await each and one of each one of us to both be received and also to share. As best as I can recall I have in my life lived in 21 different dwellings in the course of my 66 years of living. I have lived in an apartment, I have lived in a house, a trailer, a duplex, a condo, a dorm, even a Baptist student union. (laughs) I have lived on an island and I have lived on a farm I have lived in the suburbs and I have lived in the city. I have lived in the north and I have lived in the south. I have lived in the United States and also in Germany. I have also lived alone and I have lived as a married man. I have been part of a divorced family, a widowed family, an extended and also a foster family. I have lived with relatives and I have lived with strangers. And each experience has been unique in, in, its own, in its own way. But I can safely say that in every single circumstance, God has blessed me richly. I There is not a single exception to that. And in every time and in every place that I have been blessed, I have made an effort to be a blessing to others. As I now continue my journey into retirement, I'd like to share some lessons that I have learned along the way of my journey as an ordained United Methodist minister that began no less than 43 years ago in Hampton, Virginia, when I was ordained a deacon. In those days, it was a two-part ordination. You were ordained a deacon, and then after actually serving in in the local church, you were ordained an elder, which happened to be four years later in Falls Church, Virginia. As I think about Abraham and Sarah journeying across the desert in their sandals with their camels and their sheep and goats and tents and family, and as they were going through their portals, <laughs> I can't help but imagine that Abraham probably hummed a few tunes along the way. So I thought it might be helpful if, if I shared my insights about my journey and perhaps something of the journey of Abraham and Sarah through a few of my favorite hymns. So here's lesson number one. We travel not alone. No matter how long or short, easy or hard, our journey in life is a journey shared. God is always with us. No matter how much we feel or think that God has abandoned us, God is always there. Just as Jesus appeared as a stranger to the two on the road to Emmaus, God often comes to us in ways that we do not expect. When I lost my parents when I was 10 and and 14, God sent two wonderful foster families to me, to love me, to care for me. And through it, God was there. When I left the pastorate to become an editor, the editor of the Virginia United Methodist Advocate and to direct the communications of our Virginia Conference, I was a little nervous about that. But God was there. And when I returned to the local church 15 years later, God went with me there. God will be with me as I enter retirement. No matter how scary it may seem to me, God will be with me just as I'm sure God will be with you as well. The hymn that became a staple at every United Methodist women's gathering that I attended across the uh, across my career was a hymn known as Spirit Song, and I'd like I'd like us to sing the first two verses because it captures the meaning of Jesus who fills us with God's presence. you can see why that's one of my favorite hymns lesson number two is that peace begins with us we cannot give to others what we do not have if our lives are filled with anger and bitterness and self centeredness if in fact our lives are filled with a self hatred that is what we will have to share And too often that is what we do share. My lifelong ambition has been to be at peace with myself. I saw that in Mr. B, I called him, the Reverend Clark Blevins, who was my first guardian, who will always be my inspiration for what a pastor is meant to be. I've often kind of mused and laughed at the fact that I've said, you know, he couldn't preach his way out of a paper bag, but boy, could he love. And that, that, my friends, is what has guided me. I cannot help to bring peace to the world, and neither can you if we are at war with with ourselves and our hearts. The hymn that I remember most in my days as a student at the Wesley Foundation at William and Mary is Let There Be Peace on Earth. It was so very new back then that it wasn't even in the hymnal. Let us share that together. (laughs) Lesson that I'd like to share is that love is the very essence of the gospel. And that's what I learned from Mr. B. That's what I experienced, and that's at the heart of the peace that I saw in his life, and I would like in mine. You and I, in in church life, can argue about politics and statues, about abortion, or LGBTQ issues. We can, we can fight with each other over gun control or immigration. You name the issue, it doesn't really matter what it is. But we cannot compromise about the importance of love. Love, you see, is the very essence of the gospel. The Apostle Paul wrote, Faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is Love. When Jacob had to flee from his brother Esau because he had stolen his brother's birthright and, his, and the, his father's blessing that was due to the eldest son, and when he then had to run from the father-in-law because he had continued his trickery even in a foreign land, he found himself kind of caught between them both, between a rock and a hard place. He had nowhere else to run except to God. And that's when God came and wrestled with him all night. That's when he realized how much he was loved by God. That's when he he caught on to the to the essence of faith in God. Charles Wesley's hymn, Come O Thou Traveler Unknown, has been a favorite of mine since really the beginning of my ministry. It's based on that story from the, the book of Genesis, and it really concerns how, how Jacob wrestled with what he thought was a stranger at the beginning of his, his wrestling, but he came to learn was God in the form of love. The story is told. This is a hymn by Charles Wesley, and the story is told. and And I hope that you'll, you know, we only have a few verses that are in the in our hymnals, but if you if you go to the next one, 387, you can find the the whole poem. It's something like 14 stanzas that Charles Wesley had written, and the story is told how um, John Wesley quoted from that and. And really found himself remembering his brother in a very special way, because you see they both lived a life where love was the very essence of the gospel. Let us sing verses 1 and 4. fourth lesson is that the best gift you can give is yourself. The prophet Micah said it the clearest, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old and Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for the transgression of my soul, the fruit of of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You see, God doesn't want and does not need our things. God wants us, our lives, our living. God wants us to walk hand in hand with God, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with God. In his last days, my good friend Kelly Wilson, who was the first pastor, that I served with as an associate. He was living with the reality that cancer would soon overtake his life. He had three young boys and one of the youngest came in the middle of the night to the door of his bedroom and just stood there looking at his dad. Kelly told the story of how he he awoke and he looked at his son and with the, the hall light behind him and called out to his son, what can I do for you? And the young boy said, anything. <laughs> anything. He just wanted his dad to be there, that's all. He didn't need things. He just needed his dad to be there. You see, you and I are the best gift that we can give to God and to others, ourselves. My favorite Christmas hymn comes from Christina Rossetti's poem by the same name in The Bleak Midwinter. In it, we learn the greatest gift that we can give to God. And finally, in case you were wondering if my lessons would, would ever end, the fifth lesson is that life is a hopeful mystery that only God can reveal. Abraham and Sarah didn't know what lay ahead. They didn't know what what they were gained by leaving behind so much that they loved and cherished. When they decided to follow God, the journey was going to be a mystery. All they knew is that God would bless them so they in turn could be a blessing to others. I do not know what lies ahead for me and I don't know what lies ahead for you. All I know is that God will bless us all and God wants, to, wants us to share that blessing with others. Over the years I have often shared the mystery of the apple at funerals. I would pull out an apple and I would, I would ask, how many, how many seeds do you think are in this apple? I did this for a children's sermon once and the children kind of, you know, each made their guess and I got out a knife and I cut the apple open. and (laughs) There wasn't a single seed in that (laughs) apple. (laughs) And years later, years later, I was at that church and the mother of that child came, uh, of one of the children came up to me. And when she told him that I was coming to preach at that church, the boy asked her, said, is that the man with the magic apple? <laughs> well, that, I started with that question. How many seeds do you, can you count? You know, you can, you can quantify that, whether it's zero or 15. But that's not the real question in life, you see. It's not how many, how many seeds are in the apple. The real question is how many apples are in a seed. Obviously, it's too many to count. If I have been any kind of fruit for you as your pastor these nine years, then you have become my seeds. The hymn of promise captures the meaning of this final lesson for me and for us. Thank you. truly been a blessing to me these past nine years, and I will never cease to share that blessing with others, and I hope you will do the same. The journey continues. Amen.